Hello, I'm Chris Hale, and welcome to Season 2 of the Dadcast, a podcast that provides read-alouds of short fiction, poetry, and scholarly articles to help a university student. The coffee mug is filled, breakfast cake is served, and the dogs have been walked. Let's get ready for the next episode of the Dadcast. Enjoy. The Three Penny Opera by Bertolt Brecht, Text and Lyrics, and Kurt Weil, Music in collaboration with Elizabeth Hauptmann, translated from German by Ralph Mannheim and John Willett. Characters. Macheath, called Mac the Knife. Jonathan Jeremiah Peacham, proprietor of the Beggar's Friend Limited. Celia Peacham, his wife. Polly Peacham, his daughter. Brown, the High Sheriff of London. Lucy, his daughter. Lodive Jenny. Smith, Reverend Kimball, Filch, Ballad Singer, Gang, Beggars, Whores, Constables. Prologue. The Ballad of Mac the Knife. At a fair in Soho, the beggars are begging, the thieves are stealing, the whores are whoring, a ballad singer sings a ballad. See the shark with teeth like razors, all can read his open face, and Macheath has got a knife, but not in such an obvious place. See the shark, how red his fins are, as he slashes at his prey. Mac the knife wears the white kid gloves, which give the minimum away. By the Thames' turbid waters, men abruptly tumble down. Is it plague, or is it cholera, or a sign Macheath's in town? On a beautiful, blue Sunday, see a corpse stretched in the strand. See a dog dodge round the corner. Mackie's friends will understand. And Schmuelmeyer reported missing, like so many wealthy men, Mac the Knife acquired his cash box. God alone knows how or when. Peachum goes walking across the stage from left to right with his wife and daughter. Jenny Towler turned up lately with a knife stuck through her breast, while McKeith walks the embankment, nonchalantly unimpressed. Where is Alfred Gleet, the cabman? Who can get that story clear? All the world may know the answer, just Macteith has no idea. And the ghastly fire in Soho, seven children at a go. In the crowd stands Mac the knife, but he isn't asked and doesn't know. And the child bride in her nighty, whose assailant still at large, violated in her slumbers. Mackie, how much did you charge? Laughter among the whores. A man steps out from their midst and walks quickly away across the square. Low Dive Jenny says, That was Mac the Knife. Act 1, Scene 1. To combat the increasing callousness of mankind, J. Peachum, a man of business, has opened a shop where the poorest of the poor can acquire an exterior that will touch the hardest of hearts. Jonathan Jeremiah Peachum's Outfitting Shop for Beggars. Peachum's Morning Hymn. You ramshackle Christian, awake! Get on with your sinful employment! Show what a good crook you can make. The Lord will cut short your enjoyment. Betray your own brother, you rogue, and sell your old woman, you rat. You think the Lord God's just a joke. He'll give you his judgment on that. Something new is needed. My business is too hard, for my business is arousing human sympathy. There are a few things that stir men's souls, just a few. 
But the trouble is that after repeated use, they lose their effect. Because man has the abominable gift of being able to deaden his feelings at will, so to speak. Suppose, for instance, a man sees another man standing on the corner with a stump for an arm. The first time he may be shocked enough to give him ten pence, but the second time it will only be five pence. And if he sees him a third time, he'll hand him over to the police without batting an eyelash. It's the same with the spiritual approach. A large sign saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive, is lowered from the grid. What good are the most beautiful, the most poignant sayings, painted on the most enticing little signs, when they get expended so quickly? The Bible has four or five sayings that stir the heart. Once a man has expended them, there's nothing for it but starvation. Take this one, for instance. Give, and it shall be given unto you. How threadbare it is after hanging there a mere three weeks. Yes, you have to keep on offering something new. So it's back to the good old Bible again. But how long can it go on providing? Peachum opens the door. Enter a young man by the name of Filch. Messrs. Peachum and Co. Peachum. Are you the proprietor of the Beggar's Friend Limited? I've been sent to you. Fine slogans you've got there. Money in the bank, those are. Got a whole library full of them, I suppose. That's what I call really something. What chance has a bloke like me got to think up ideas like that? And how can business progress without education? What's your name? It's, it's this way, Mr. Peachum. I've been down on my luck since a boy. Mother drank, father gambled, left my own resources at an early age. Without a mother's tender hand, I sank deeper and deeper into the quicksands of the big city. I've never known a father's care or the blessings of a happy home. So now you see me. So now I see you. Uh, bereft of all support, a uh, prey to my baser instincts. Like a derelict on the high seas and so on. Now tell me, derelict, which district have you been reciting that fairy story in? What do you mean, Mr. Peachum? You deliver that speech in public, I take it. Well, it's this way, Mr. Peachum. Yesterday there was an unpleasant little incident in Highland Street. There I am, standing on the corner, quiet and miserable, holding up my hat. No suspicion of anything nasty. Hmm, Highland Street. Yes, yes, you're right. You're the bastard that Honey and Sam caught yesterday. You had the impudence to be molesting passers-by in District 10. We let you off with a thrashing because we had reason to believe you didn't know what's what. But if you show your face again, it'll be a chop for you. Got it? Oh, please, please, Mr. Peachum, please. What can I do, Mr. Peachum? The gentleman beat me black and blue, and then they gave me your business card. If I took off my coat, you'd think you were looking at a fish on a slab. My friend, if you're not flat as a kipper, then my men weren't doing their job properly. Along come these young whippersnappers who think they've only got to hold out their paw to land a stake. What would you say if someone started fishing the best trout out of your pond? Uh, it's, it's like this, Mr. Beecham. I haven't got a pond. Licenses are delivered to professionals only. Points in a business-like way to a map of the city. London is divided into 14 districts. Any man who intends to practice the craft of begging in any one of them needs a license from Jonathan, Jeremiah, Peacham, and Co. Why, anybody could come along a prey to his baser instincts. Mr. Peacham, only a few shillings stand between me and utter ruin. Something must be done. With two shillings in my pocket, I... One pound. Mr. Peacham!
Filch points imploringly at a sign saying, Do not turn a deaf ear to misery. Peachum points to the curtain over a showcase on which is written, Give and it shall be given unto you. Ten bob. Plus 50% of your take. Saddle up once a week. With outfit, 70%. What does the outfit consist of? That's for the firm to decide. Which district should I start in? Baker Street, number two and two one oh four. That comes even cheaper, only fifty percent, including the outfit. <clears throat> Very well. Your name? Charles Filch. Right. Mrs. Peachum! Mrs. Peachum enters. This is Filch. Number three one four. Baker Street District. I'll do his entry myself. Trust you to pick this moment to apply, just before the coronation, when for once in a lifetime there's a chance of making a little something. Outfit C. He opens a linen curtain before a showcase in which there are five wax dummies. What's that? Those are the five basic types of misery, the most likely to touch the human heart. The sight of such types puts a man into the unnatural state where he is willing to part with money. Outfit A. Victim of vehicular progress. The merry paraplegic, always cheerful, always carefree, emphasized by arm stump. Outfit B. Victim of the higher strategy. The tiresome trembler. Molest passersby. Operates by inspiring nausea. Attenuated by metals. Outfit C. Victim of advanced technology, the pitiful blind man, the cordon bleu of beggary. He acts out staggering towards Filch. The moment he bumps into Filch, Filch cries in horror. Peachum stops at once, looks at him with amazement, and suddenly roars, He's sorry for me! You'll never be a beggar as long as you live. You're only fit to be begged from. Very well, outfit D. Celia, you've been drinking again. And now you can't see straight. Number 136 has complained about his outfit. How often do I have to tell you that a gentleman doesn't put on filthy clothes? The only thing about it that could inspire pity was the stains, and they should have been added by just ironing in candle wax. Use your head. Have I got to do everything myself? To Filch, he says. Take off your clothes and put this on. But mind you, look after it. What, what about my things? Property of the firm. Outfit E. The young man who has seen better days, or if you'd rather, never thought it would come to this. Why can't I use them? Why can't I do the Better Days Act? Because nobody can make his own suffering sound convincing, my boy. If you have a bellyache and say so, people will simply be disgusted. Anyway, you're not here to ask questions, but to put things on. Aren't they rather dirty? Uh, oh, excuse me, sir. Please excuse me. Shake a leg, son. I'm not standing here holding your trousers till Christmas. But I'm not taking my shoes off. Absolutely not. I'd rather sooner pack the whole thing in. They're the only present my poor mother ever gave me. I may have shrunk pretty low, but never. Stop sniveling. We all know your feet are dirty. Where, where am I supposed to wash my feet in midwinter? Mrs. Peachum leads him behind a screen. Then she sits down on the left and starts ironing candle wax into a suit. 
Where's your daughter? Polly? She's upstairs. Has that man been here again? The one who's always coming around when I'm out? Don't be suspicious, Jonathan. There's no finer gentleman. The captain takes a real interest in our Polly. I see. And if I've got half an eye in my head, Polly thinks he's really very nice, too. Celia, the way you chuck your daughter around, any would think I was a millionaire. Wanting to marry her off. The idea! Do you think this lousy business of ours would survive a week if those ragamuffins our customers had nothing better than our legs to look at? A husband. He'd have us in his clutches in three shakes. In his clutches! Do you think your daughter can hold her tongue in bed any better than you? Oh, fine opinion of your daughter you have. The worst, the very worst. A lump of sensuality, that's what she is. If so, she didn't get it from you. Marriage. I expect my daughter to be, to me, as bread to the hungry. It even says so in the Bible somewhere. Anyway, marriage is disgusting. I'll teach her to get married. Jonathan, you're just a barbarian. Barbarian? What's this gentleman's name? Well, they never call him anything but the captain. So you haven't even asked him his name? Interesting. If you don't suppose we'd ask for a birth certificate when such a distinguished gentleman invites Polly and me to the Cuttlefish Hotel for a little hop. Where? To the Cuttlefish Hotel for a little hop. Captain, Cuttlefish Hotel? Hmm. A gentleman who's always handled me and my daughter with kid gloves. Kid gloves? Honest, he always wear gloves. White ones, white kid gloves. I see. White gloves and a cane with an ivory handle and spats and patent leather shoes and a charismatic personality and a scar. On his neck. Isn't there anyone you don't know? Filch crawls from behind the screen. Um, Mr. Peachum, couldn't you give me a few tips... I've always believed in having a system and, and not just shooting my off my mouth any old how. A system? He can't be a halfwit. Come back this evening at six. We'll teach you the rudiments. Now piss off. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Mr. Peachum. Many thanks. Fifty percent. And now I'll tell you who this gentleman with the gloves is. Mac the knife. He runs up the stairs to Polly's bedroom. God in heaven, Mac the knife. Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Polly, where's Polly? Peachum comes down slowly. Polly, Polly's not come home. Her bed's not being slept in. Well, she, she'll have gone to supper with that wool merchant. That'll be it, Jonathan. Let's hope to God it is the wool merchant. Mr. and Mrs. Peachum step before the curtain and sing. Song lighting, golden glow. The organ is lit up. Three lamps are lowered from above on a pole. And the sign says, the No They Can't song. No, they can't. Bear to be at home. All tucked tight in bed. It's fun they want. You can bet they've got some fancy notions brewing up instead. So what's your moon over Soho? That is your infernal, do you hear my heart beating line? That's the old, wherever you go, I shall be with you, honey. When you first fall in love and the moonbeams shine. No, they can't. See what's good for them and set their mind on it. It's fun they want. So they end up on their arses in the shit. Then, where's your moon over Soho? What's come of your infernal, do you feel my heart beating bit? Where's the old, 
Wherever you go, I shall be with you, honey. When you're no more in love and you're in the shit. Act 1, Scene 2. Deep in the heart of Soho, the bandit Mac the Knife is celebrating his marriage to Polly Peachum, the beggar king's daughter. In a bare stable, Matthew, known as Matt of the Mint, holds up his revolver and searches the table with a lantern. Hey, hands up! Anybody that's here! McHeath enters and takes a tour of inspection along the floodlights. Well, is there anybody? Not just a soul, just the place for our wedding. Polly enters in a wedding dress. But it's a stable. Sit on the feed bin for the moment, Polly. To the audience. Today, this stable will witness my marriage to Miss Polly Peachum, who has followed me for love in order to share my life with me. All over London, they'll be saying this is the most daring job you've ever pulled, Mac, enticing Miss, Mr. Peachum's only child from his home. Who's Mr. Peachum? <laughs> He'll tell you he's the poorest man in London. But you can't be meaning to have our wedding here. Why, it's a common stable. You can't ask the vicar to a place like this. Besides, it isn't even ours. We really oughtn't to start our new life with a burglary, Mac. Why, this is the biggest day of our life. Dear child, everything shall be done as you wish. We can't have you embarrassed in any way. The trimmings will be here in a moment. That'll be the furniture. Large vans are heard driving up. Half a dozen men come in carrying carpets, furniture, dishes, with which they transform the stable into an exaggeratedly luxurious room. Junk. The gentlemen put their presents down, left, congratulate the bride, and report to the bridegroom. Jake, known as Crooked Fingered Jake. Congratulations! At 14 Ginger Street, there were some people on the second floor. We had to smoke them out. Bob, known as Bob the Saw. Congratulations! A copper got down in the stand. Amateur, says Mac. Ned says, We did all we could, but three people in the West End were past saving. Congratulations! Amateurs and bunglers, says Mac. Jimmy says, an old gent got hurt a bit, but I don't think it's anything serious. Congratulations. My orders were, avoid bloodshed, said Mac. It makes me sick to think of it. You'll never make businessmen. Cannibals, perhaps, but not businessmen. Walter, known as Drew Walt, says, congratulations. Only half an hour ago, madam, that harpsichord belonged to the Duchess of Somerset. Polly says, what is this furniture anyway? How do you like the furniture, Polly? asked Mac. Polly in tears. Those poor people, all for a few sticks of furniture. And what furniture, says Mac. Junk! You have a perfect right to be angry. A rosewood harpsichord along with a renaissance sofa? That's unforgivable. And what about a table? A table, asked Walter. They lay some planks over the bins. Polly says, oh, Mac, I'm so miserable. I only hope the vicar doesn't come. Of course he'll come, says Matthew. We gave him exact directions. Walter introduces the table. A table. Mac, seeing Polly in tears, says, My wife is very upset. Where are the rest of the chairs? A harpsichord and the happy color has to sit on the floor? Use your heads. For once, I'm having a wedding. And how often does that happen? Shut up, dreary. And how often does it happen that I leave you to do something on your own? And when I do, you start by upsetting my wife. Dear Polly, says Ned. 
Mac knocks his hat off his head. Dear Polly, I'll bash your head through your kidneys with your dear Polly, you squirt. Have you ever heard the like? Dear Polly, I suppose you've been to bed with her. Mac, says Polly. I swear, says Ned. Dear Madam, if any items of furniture should be lacking, says Walter, we'll be only glad to go back and a rose with a harpsichord and no chairs, laughs Mac. Speaking as a bride, what do you say to that? It could be worse, says Polly. Two chairs and a sofa and the bridal couple has to sit on the floor. Something new, I'd say, says Polly. Mac sharply says, get the legs on off this harpsichord. Go on. Four men saw the legs off the harpsichord and sing. Bill Lodgen and Mary Sire were made man and wife a week ago. When it was over and they exchanged a kiss, he was thinking, whose wedding dress was this? While his name was one thing she'd rather like to know. Hooray! The finished article, madam, says Walter. There's your bench. May I now ask the gentleman to take off those filthy rags and put on some decent clothes, says Mac. This isn't just anybody's wedding, you know. Polly, may I ask you to look after the fodder? Is this our wedding feast, says Polly? Was the whole lot stolen, Mac? Of course, of course, replies Mac. I wonder what you do if there's a knock at the door and the sheriff steps in, says Polly. I'll show what your husband will do in that situation, says Mac. It couldn't happen today, says Matthew. The mounted police are all sure to be in Daventry. They'll be escorting the queen back to town for Friday's coronation. Two knives and 14 forks, says Polly. One knife per chair. What incompetence. That's the work of apprentices, not experienced men, says Mac. Haven't you any sense of style? Fancy not knowing the difference between Chippendale and Louis Couture's? The gang comes back. The gentlemen are now wearing fashionable evening dress, but unfortunately their movements are not in keeping with it. Walter says, we only wanted to bring the most valuable stuff. Look at that wood. Really first class. Matthew says, permit us, Captain. Polly, come here a minute, says Mac. Mac and Polly assume the pose of a couple, prepared to receive congratulations. Permit us, Captain, says Matthew, on the greatest day of your life, in the full bloom of your career, or rather the turning point, to offer you our heartiest and at the same time most sincere congratulations, etc., etc. That posh don't half make me sick. So, to cut a long story short, he shakes Mac's hand. Keep up the good work, old mate. Thank you. That was very kind of you, says Matthew, replies Mac. Matthew, shaking Polly's hand after embracing Mac with emotion, it was spoken from the heart, all right. So as I was saying, keep it up, old China. I, I mean, uh, the good work, of course. Roars of laughter from the guests. Suddenly, Mac, with deft movements, sends Matthew to the floor. Shut your trap, says Mac. Keep that filthy for Kitty. She's the kind of slut that appreciates it. <gasps> Mac, don't be so vulgar, says Polly. Here, I don't like that, says Matthew, calling Kitty a slut. He stands up with difficulty. Oh, so you don't like that, says Mac. And besides, says Matthew, I never use filthy language with her. I respect Kitty too much. But maybe you wouldn't understand that the way you are. You're a fine one to talk about filth. Do you think Lucy didn't tell me the th things you've told her? Compared to that, I'm driven snow. Mac looks at him. Cut it out, says Jake. This is a wedding.
They pull him away. Fine wedding, isn't it, Polly? Says Mac. Having to see trash like this around you on the day of your marriage? You wouldn't have thought your husband's friends would let him down. Think about it. It's, I think it's nice, says Polly. Blarney, says Robert. Nobody's letting it down. What's the difference of opinion between friends? Kitty's as good as the next girl. But now, bring out your wedding present, mate. Yeah, hand it over, they all say. Matthew, offended, says, here. Oh, a wedding present, says Polly. How kind of you, Mr. Matt, of the mint. Look, Mac, what a lovely nightgown. Another bit of filth, eh, Captain, says Matthew. Forget it, says Mac. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings on this festive occasion. What do you say to this, says Walter? Chippendale. He unveils an enormous Chippendale grandfather clock. Cator's, says Mac. It's wonderful, says Polly. I'm so happy. Words fail me. You're so unbelievably kind. Oh, Mac, isn't it a shame we've no flat to put it in? Hmm, it's a start in the right direction, says Mac. The great thing is to get started. Thank you kindly, Walter. Go on, clear the stuff away now. Food. While the others start setting the table, Jake says, Trust me to come empty-handed again. Believe me, young lady, I find it most distressing. It doesn't matter at the least, Mr. Crooked Finger Jake, says Polly. Here are the boys flinging presents right and left, and me standing here like a fool, says Jake. What a situation to be in. It's always the way with me. Situations. It's enough to make your hair stand on end. The other day, I meet low-dive Jenny. Well, I say, you old cow. Suddenly, he sees Mac standing behind him and goes off without a word. Mac leads Polly to her place. This is the best food you'll taste today, Polly. Gentlemen, all sit down to the wedding feast. Ned, indicating the china, beautiful dishes, Savoy Hotel. The plover's eggs are from Selfridges, says Jake. There was supposed to be a bucket of foie gras, but Jimmy ate it on the way. He was mad because it had a hole in it. We don't talk about holes in polite society, says Walter. Don't bolt your eggs like that, Ned. Not on this day. Couldn't somebody sing something, says Mac? Something splendiferous. Matthew, choking with laughter, something splendiferous? That's a first-class word. He sits down in embarrassment under Mac's withering gaze. Mac knocks a bowl out of someone's hand. I didn't mean us to start eating yet. Instead of seeing you people wade straight into the trough, I would have liked something from the heart. That's what other people do on this sort of occasion. What, for instance, says Jake. Am I supposed to think of everything, asked Mac. I'm not asking you to put on an opera, but you might have arranged for something else besides stuffing your bellies and making filthy jokes. Oh, well, it's a day like this that you find out who your friends are. The salmon is marvelous, Mac, says Polly. I bet you've never eaten anything like it, says Ned. You get that every day at Mac the Knife's. You've landed in the honey pot all right. That's what I've always said. Mac is the right match for a girl with a feeling for higher things. As I was saying to Lucy only yesterday. Lucy, asked Polly. Mac, Mac, who's Lucy? Embarrassed, Jake says, Lucy, oh, nothing serious, you know. Matthew has risen, standing behind Polly. He's waving his arms to shut Jake up. Polly sees him and says, do you want something? Salt, perhaps. What were you saying, Mr. Jake? Oh, nothing, nothing at all, he says. 
The main thing I want to say really was nothing at all. I'm always putting my foot in it. What have you got in your hand, Jake? asked Mac. A knife, boss, says Jake. And what have you got on your plate? asked Mac. A trout, boss, replies Jake. I see, says Mac. And with the knife you're eating the trout, are you not? It's incredible. Did you ever see the like of it, Polly? Eating his fish with a knife. Anybody who does that is just a plain swine. Do you get me, Jake? Think about it. You'll have your hands full, Polly, trying to turn trash like this into a human being. Have you boys got the least idea what that is? A human being or a human peeing, says Walter. Really, Mr. Walter, says Polly. So you won't sing a song. Something to brighten up the day, asks Mac. Has it gotten to be a miserable, gloomy day like any other? And come to think of it, is anybody guarding the door? I suppose you want me to attend to that myself too. Do you want me on this day of days to guard the door so you lot can stuff your bellies at my expense? Sullenly, Walter asks, what do you mean at your expense? Stow it, Walter boy, says Jimmy. I'm on my way. Who's going to come here anyway? And he goes out. A fine joke on a day like this if all the wedding guests were pulled in, says Jake. Jimmy rushes in. Hey, Captain, the cops! Tiger Brown, says Walter. Nonsense, says Matthew. It's the Reverend Kimball. Kimball enters. Good evening, Reverend Kimball, they all roar. Ah, so I found you after all, says Kimball. I find you in a lowly hut, a humble place but your own. Property of the Duke of Devonshire, says Mac. Good evening, Reverend, says Polly. Oh, I'm so glad that on the happiest day of our life you... And now I request a rousing song for the Reverend Kimball, interrupts Mac. How about Bill Longan and Mary Sire, says Matthew. Good, says Jake. Bill Longan might just be the thing. Be nice if you do a little number, boys, says, Mr. says Kimball. Let's have it, gentlemen, says Matthew. Three men rise and sing hesitantly, weakly, and uncertainly. The wedding song for the less well-off. Bill Logan and Mary Sire were made man and wife a week ago. Three cheers for the happy couple. Hip, hip, hooray. When it was over and they exchanged a kiss, he was thinking, whose wedding dress was this? While his name was one thing she'd rather like to know. Hooray. Do you know what your wife's up to? No. Do you like her sleeping around like that? No. Three cheers for the happy couple. Hip, hip, hooray. Billy Longan told me recently, this one part of her will do for me. That swine. Hooray. Is that all, says Mac? Penurious. Matthew chokes again. Penurious is the word, gentlemen. Shut your trap, says Mac. Oh, I only meant no gusto, no fire, and so on, says Matthew. Gentlemen, Polly says, if none of you wishes to perform, I myself will sing a little song. It's an imitation of a girl I saw once in some two-penny, half-penny dive in Soho. She was washing the glasses, and everybody was laughing at her. And then she turned to the guests and said things like, the things I'm going to sing to you. Right. This is a little bar. I want you to think of it as filthy. She stood behind it morning and night. This is the bucket, and this is the rag she washed the glasses with. Where you are sitting, the customers were sitting laughing at her. You can laugh too, to make it exactly the same. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. She starts pretending to wash glasses, muttering to herself. 
Now, for instance, one of them, it might be you, pointing at Walter, says, well, when's your ship coming in, Jenny? When's your ship coming in, Jenny, says Walter. And another says, you, for instance, says Polly. Still washing up glasses, Jenny the Pirate's Bride? Matthew says, still washing up glasses, Jenny the Pirate Bride? Good, and now I'll begin, says Polly. Song lighting, golden glow, the organ is lit up, three lamps are lowered from above on a pole, and the sign says, Pirate Jenny. Now you gents all see, I've the glasses to wash. When a bed's to be made, I make it. You may tip me with a penny, and I'll thank you very well. And you see me dressed in tatters in this tatty old hotel, and you never ask how long I'll take it. But one of these evenings, there will be screams from the harbor, and they'll ask, what can all the screaming be? And they'll see me smiling as I do the glasses. And they'll say, how she can smile beats me. And a ship with eight sails and all 50 guns loaded has tied up at the quay. They say, get on, dry your glasses, my girl. And they tip me and don't give a damn. And their penny is accepted and their bed will be made. Although nobody is going to sleep there, I'm afraid. And they still have no idea who I am. But one of these evenings, there'll be explosions from the harbor. And they'll ask, what kind of a bang was that? And they'll see me as I stand beside the window. And they'll say, what has she got to smile at? And that ship, with eight sails and all its 50 guns loaded, will lay siege to the town. Then you, gents, you aren't going to find it a joke, for the walls will be knocked down flat, and in no time the town will be razed to the ground. This one tatty old hotel will be left standing safe and sound. And they'll ask, did someone special live in that? Then there will be a lot of people milling around the hotel, and they'll ask what made them let that place alone. And they'll see me as I leave the door next morning, and they'll say, Don't tell us she's the one, and that ship with eight sails and all its fifty guns loaded will run up its flag. And a hundred men will land in the bright midday sun, each stepping where the shadows fall. They'll look inside each doorway and grab anyone they see, and put him in irons, and then bring him to me. And they'll ask, which of these should we kill? In that noonday heat, there'll be a hush around the harbor. And as they ask me, which has got to die? And you'll hear me as I softly answer, the lot. And as the first head rolls, I'll say, hoopla. And that ship with eight sails and all its 50 guns will vanish with me. Very nice, says Matthew. Cute, eh? The way the missus puts it across. What do you mean nice, says Mac? It's not nice, you idiot. It's art. It's not nice. You did that marvelously, Polly. But it's wasted on trash like this. If you'll excuse me, your reverence, in an undertone to Polly. Anyway, I don't like you play acting. Let's not have any more of that. Laughter at the table. The gang is making fun of the parson. What you got in your hand, reverence? Two knives, captain, says Jake. What you got on your plate, your reverence? Asked Mac. Kimball replies, salmon, I think. Mac says, and with that knife, you're eating the salmon, are you not? Did you ever see the like of it, says Jake, eating fish with a knife? Anybody who does that is just a plain swine, says Mac. Do you understand me, Jake? Think about it. Jimmy, rushing in, says, hey, Captain Coppers, the sheriff in person. Brown, says Walter, Tiger Brown. Yes, Tiger Brown, exactly, says Mac. It's Tiger Brown himself, the chief sheriff of London, pillar of the old Bailey, who will now enter Captain McKeith's humble abode. 
think about it. The bandits creep away. It'll be for the drop for us, says Jake. Brown enters. Hello, Jackie, says Mac. Hello, Mac, says Brown. I haven't much time. Got to be leaving in a minute. Does it have to be somebody else's stable? Why, this is breaking and entering again. But Jackie, says Mac, it's such a good address. I'm glad you'd come to old Mac's wedding. Let me introduce my wife, Nee Peachum. Polly, this is Tiger Brown. What do you say, old man? He slaps him on the back. And these are my friends, Jackie. I imagine you've seen them all before. Brown, Payne, says, I'm here unofficially, Mac. So are they, says Mac. He calls them. They come in with their hands up. Hey, Jake. That's crooked-fingered Jake, says Brown. He's a dirty dog. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Bob. Hey, Walter, says Mac. Well, just for today, I'll turn a blind eye, says Brown. Hey, Ned. Hey, Matthew, continues Mac. Be seated, gentlemen. Be seated, says Brown. Thank you, sir, they all say. Brown says, I'm delighted to meet my old friend Mac's charming wife. Don't mention it, sir, says Polly. Sit down, says Mac, you old bugger, and pitch into the whiskey. Polly and gentlemen, you have today in your midst a man whom the king's inscrutable wisdom has placed high above his fellow men, and who has nonetheless remained my friend throughout the storms and perils and so on. You know what I mean, and you too know who I mean, Brown. Ah, Jackie, do you remember how we served in India together? Soldiers, both of us. Ah, Jackie, let's sing the canon song right now. They sit down on the table. Song lighting, golden glow. The organ is lit up. Three lamps are lowered from above on a pole. And the sign says, the canon song. John was all present and Jim was all there. And Georgie was up for promotion. Not that the army gave a bugger who they were. When confronting some heathen commotion... The troops live under the cannon's thunder from the Cape to Cooch Bahare, moving from place to place. When they come face to face with a different breed of fellow whose skin is black or yellow, they quick as a winking chop him into beefsteak tartare. Johnny found his whiskey too warm, and Jim found the weather too balmy, but Georgie took them both by the arm and said, Never let down the army. The troops live under the cannon's thunder from the Cape to Cooch Bahare, Moving from place to place, when they come face to face with a different breed of fellow, whose skin is black or yellow, they quick as a winking, chop them in to beefsteak tartare. Johnny is a write-off and Jimmy is dead, and they shoot poor old Georgie for looting. But young men's blood goes on being red and the army goes on recruiting. The troops live under the cannon thunder from the Cape to Cooch Bahar. Moving from place to place, when they come face to face with a different breed of fellow, whose skin is black or yellow. They quick as winking, chop him into beefsteak tartare. Though life with its raging torn has carried us boyhood friends far apart, says Mac, although our professional interests are very different, some people would go so far as to say diametrically opposed, our friendship has come through unimpaired. Think about it. Castor and Pollux, Hector and Andromica, etc., Seldom have I, the humble bandit, well, you know what I mean, made even the smallest haul without giving him, my friend, a share, a substantial share, Brown, as a gift and token of my unswerving loyalty, and seldom has he, take that knife out of your mouth, Jake, that all-powerful police chief staged a raid without sending me, his boyhood friend, a little tip-off, well, and so on and so forth, it's all a matter of give and take, 
Think about it. And he takes Brown by the arm. Well, Jackie, old man, I'm glad you've come. I call that real friendship. Pause, because Brown has been looking sadly at a carpet. Genuine Shiraz. From the Oriental Carpet Company, asked Brown. Yes, we never go anywhere else, says Mac. Do you know, Jackie, I had to have you here today. I hope it's not awkward for you in your position. You know, Mac, that I can't refuse you anything, says Brown. I must be going. I've really got so much on my plate. If the slightest thing should go wrong at the Queen's coronation, Mac replies, See here, Jackie, my father-in-law is a revolting old bastard. If he tries to make trouble for me, is there anything on record against me at Scotland Yard? Brown says, There's nothing whatsoever on record against you at Scotland Yard. I knew it, says Mac. I've taken care of that, says Brown. Good night. Aren't you fellows going to stand up, says Mac? Brown to Polly. Best of luck. Goes out accompanied by Mac. Jake, who along with Matthew and Walter, has meanwhile been conferring with Polly. I must admit, I couldn't repress a certain alarm a while ago when I heard Tiger Brown was coming. Matthew says, you see your dear lady, we have contacts in the highest places. Walter says, yes, Mac always has some iron in the fire that the rest of us don't even suspect. But we have our own little iron in the fire. Gentlemen, it's half past nine. Matthew says, and now comes the pièce de résistance. I'll go upstage behind the carpet that conceals something. Mac enters. I say, what's going on, he says. Matthew replies, hey, Captain, another little surprise. Behind the curtain, they sing the Bill Longin song softly and with much feeling. But at his name was one thing she'd rather like to know. Matthew pulls down the carpet and all go on with the song bellowing and pounding on the bed that has been disclosed. Thank you, friends. Thank you, says Mac. And now we shall quietly take our leave, says Walter, and the gang goes out. Mac says, and now the time has come for softer sentiments. Without them, man is a mere beast of burden. Sit down, Polly. Music plays. Look at the moon over Soho, he says. I see it, dearest, says Polly. Feel my heart beating, my beloved. I feel it, beloved. Polly says, where are you go? I shall be with you. Mac replies, and where you stay, there too shall I be. And both say together, and though we've no paper to say we're wed, and no altar covered with flowers, and nobody knows for whom your dress was made, and even the ring is not ours, the platter off which you've been eating your bread, give it one brief look, fling it far, for love will endure and not endure, regardless of where we are. Act 1, Scene 3. To Peachum, conscious of the hardness of the world, the loss of his daughter means utter ruin. Peachum's outfitting emporium for beggars. To the right, Peachum and Mrs. Peachum in the doorways stands Polly in her coat and hat, holding her traveling bag. Mrs. Peachum says, Married? First you rig your fore and aft in dresses and hats and gloves and parasols, and when she's cost us as much as a sailing ship, she throws herself in the garbage like a rotten pickle. Are you really married? Song lighting. Golden glow, the organ is lit up, three lamps are lowered from above on a pole, and the sign says, In a little song, Polly gives her parents to understand that she has married the bandit, Macheath. I once used to think, in my innocent youth, and I once was as innocent as you, that someone someday might come my way, and then, how should I know what's best to do? 
and if he'd got money and seemed a nice chap, and his workday shirts were white as snow, and if he knew how to treat a girl with due respect, I'd have to tell him no. That's where you must keep your head screwed on and insist on going slow. Sure, the moon will shine throughout the night. Sure, the boat is on the river tied up tight. That's as far as things can go. Oh, you can't lie back. You must stay cold at heart. Oh, you must not let your feelings show. Oh, whenever you feel it might start. Ah, then your only answer's no. The first one that came was a man of Kent and all that a man ought to be. The second one owned three ships down at Wapping, and the third was crazy about me. And as they got money, and all seemed nice chaps, and their workday shirts were white as snow, and as they knew how to treat a girl with due respect, each time I told them no. That's where I still kept my head screwed on, and I chose to take it slow. Sure, the moon could shine throughout the night. Sure, the boat was on the river tied up tight. That's as far as things could go. Oh, you can't lie back. You must stay cold at heart. Oh, you must not let your feelings show. Oh, whenever you feel it might start. Ah, then your only answer's no. But then one day, and that day was blue, came someone who didn't ask at all. And he went on and hung his hat on the nail in my little attic. And what happened, I can't quite recall. And as he'd got no money and was not a nice chap, and his Sunday shirts even were not like snow, and as he'd no idea of treating a girl with due respect, I could not tell him no. That's the time my head was not screwed on, and to hell with going slow. Oh, the moon was shining clear and bright. Oh, the boat kept drifting downstream all that night. That was how it simply had to go. Yes, you must lie back. You can't stay cold at heart. In the end, you have to let your feelings show. Oh, the moment you must, you know it must start. Ah, then there's no time for saying no. Peachum responds. So she's associating with criminals. That's lovely. That's delightful. If you're immoral enough to get married, says Mrs. Peachum, did it have to be a horse thief and a highwayman? That'll cost you dear one of these days. I ought to have seen it coming. Even as a child, she had a swollen head like the Queen of England. So she's really married, says Peachum. Mrs. Peachum replies, yes, yesterday at five in the afternoon. To a notorious criminal, says Peachum. Come to think of it, it shows that the fellow was really audacious. If I give away my daughter, the sole prop of my old age, why my house will cave in and my last dog will run off. I think twice about giving away the dirt under my fingernails. It would mean risking starvation. If the three of us can get through the winter on one log of wood, Maybe we'll live to see the new year. Maybe. Mrs. Peachum says, What got into you? This is our reward for all we've done, Jonathan? I'm going mad. My head is swimming. I'm going to faint. Oh, and she faints. A glass of cordial madoc. You see what you've done to your mother, says Peachum? Quick. Associated with criminals. That's lovely. That's delightful. Interesting how the poor woman takes it to heart. Polly brings in a bottle of cordial madoc. That's the only consolation your poor mother has left. Go ahead, says Polly. Give her two glasses. My mother can take twice as much when she's not quite herself. That will put her back on her feet. During the whole scene, she looks very happy. Mrs. Peachum wakes up. Oh, there she goes again, pretending to be so loving and sympathetic, she says. Five men enter. 
The beggar says, I'm making a complaint. See, this thing is a mess. It's not a proper stump. It's a botch up. And I'm not wasting my money on it. What do you expect, says Peachum? It's as good a stump as any other. It's just that you don't keep it clean. Then why don't I take as much money as the others, says the beggar. Nah, you can't do that to me. And he throws down the stump. If I want to craft this like this, I would cut off my real leg. What do you fellows want anyway, says Peachum? Is it my fault if people have hearts of flint? I can't make you five stumps. In five minutes, I can turn a man into such a pitiful wreck, it would make a dog weep to see him. Is it my fault if people don't weep? Here's another stump for you, if one's not enough. But look after your equipment. This one will do, says the beggar. Peachum tries a false limb on another. Leather is no good. Celia, rubber is more repulsive. To the third, that swelling is going down and it's your last. Now we'll have to start all over again. Examining the fourth, of course natural scabies is never as good as the artificial kind. To the fifth, you're a sight. You've been eating again. I'll have to make an example of you. Mr. Peachum, says the beggar. I really haven't eaten anything much. I'm just nor abnormally fat. I can't help it. Nor can I, says Peachum. You're fired. Again to the second beggar, he says, My dear man, there's an obvious difference between tugging at people's heartstrings and getting on people's nerves. Yes, artist, that's what I need. Only an artist could tug at anyone's heartstrings nowadays. If you fellows perform properly, your audience would be forced to applaud. You just haven't any ideas. Obviously, I can send our engagement. The beggars go out. Look, says Polly, is he particularly handsome? No, but he makes a living. He can support me. He's not only a first-class burglar, but a far-sighted and experienced stick-up man as well. I've been into it. I can tell you the exact amount of his savings to date. A few successful ventures, and we should be able to retire to a little house in the country just like that Mr. Shakespeare's father admires so much. It's quite simple, says Peachum. You're married. What does a girl do when she's married? Use your head. Well, she gets divorced, see? Is that so hard to figure out? I don't know what you're talking about, says Polly. Divorce, says Mrs. Peachum. But I love him, says Polly. How can I think of divorce? Mrs. Peachum replies, you really have no shame. Mother, if you've ever been in love, says Polly. In love, says Mrs. Peachum. Those damn books you've been reading have turned your head. Why, Polly, everybody's doing it. Then I'm an exception, says Polly. Then I'm going to tan you behind, you exception, says Mrs. Peachum. Oh, yes, all mothers do that, says Polly. But it doesn't help because love goes deeper than a tanned behind. Don't strain my patience, says Mrs. Peachum. I won't let my love be taken away from me, replies Polly. One more word of you and you'll get a clip on the ear. But love is the finest thing in the world, says Polly. Anyway, says Mrs. Peachum, he's got several women, the blackguard. And when he's hanged, like as not, half a dozen widows will turn up. Each of them, like as not, with a brat in her arms. Oh, Jonathan. Hanged. What made you think of that? That's a good idea, says Peachum. Run along, Polly. Polly goes out. Quite right. That'll earn us 40 pounds. I see, says Mrs. Peachum. Report him to the sheriff. Naturally, says Peachum. And besides... That way, we get him hanged free of charge, two birds with one stone. Only we've got to find out where he's holed up. Mrs. Peachum says, I can tell you that, Miss Dear. He's holed up with his tarts. 
but they won't turn him in, says Peachum. Just let me attend to that, says Mrs. Peachum. Money rules the world. I'll go to Turnbridge right away and talk to the girls. Give us a couple of hours. And after that, if he meets a single one of them, he's done for. Polly has been listening behind the door. Dear Mama, can you spare yourself the trip? Mac will go to the Bailey of his own accord sooner than meet any of those ladies. And even if he did go to the old Bailey, the sheriff would serve him a cocktail. They'd smoke their cigars and have a little chat about a certain shop in this street where a little more goes on than meets the eye. Because, Papa dear, the sheriff was very cheerful at my wedding. What's this sheriff called, says Peachum. He's called Brown, says Polly, but you probably know him as Tiger Brown, because everyone who has reason to fear him calls him Tiger Brown. But my husband, you see, calls him Jackie, because to him, he's just dear old Jackie. They're boyhood friends. Ah, so they're friends, are they, says Peachum. The sheriff and public enemy number one. Ha! They must be the only one, only friends in this city. Polly poetically says, Every time they drink a cocktail together, they stroked each other's cheeks and said, If you'll have the same again, I'll have the same again. And every time one of them left the room, the other's eyes grew moist, and he said, Where you shall go, I shall be with you. There's nothing on record against Mac at Scotland Yard. Peachum replies, I see. Between Tuesday evening and Thursday morning, Mr. McKeith, a gentleman who was assuredly being married many times, lured my daughter from her home on pretext of marriage. Before the week is out, he will be taken to the gallows on that account, and deservedly so. Mr. McKeith, you once had white kid gloves, a cane with an ivory handle, and a scar on your neck, and frequented the Cuttlefish Hotel. All that is left is your scar, undoubtedly the least valuable of your distinguishing marks. And today, you frequent nothing but prison cells. And within the foreseeable future, no place at all. Oh, Jonathan, you'll never bring it off, says Mrs. Peachum. Why, he's Mac the Knife, whom they call the biggest criminal in London. He takes what he pleases. Who's Mac the Knife, says Peachum. Get ready. We're going to see the Sheriff of London, and you are going to Turnbridge. To see his horse, says Mrs. Peachum. For the villainy of the world is great, and a man needs to run his legs off to keep them from being stolen from under him, replies Peachum. Polly says, I, Papa, shall be delighted to shake hands with Mr. Brown again. All three step forward and sing the first finale. Song lighting. On the sign is written, First Three Penny Finale Concerning the Insecurity of the Human Condition. Polly sings. Am I reaching for the sky? All I'm asking from this place is to enjoy a man's embraces. Is that aiming much too high? Peachum, with the Bible in his hand, says, Man has a right in this our brief existence, to call some fleeting happiness his own. Partake of worldly pleasures and subsistence, and have bread on his table rather than a stone. Such are the basic rights of man's existence. But do we know of anything suggesting that when a thing's a right one gets it? No. To get one's rights would be most interesting, but our condition is such, it can't be so. Mrs. Peacham sings, how I want what's best for you, how I teach you airs and graces, show you things and take you places, as a mother likes to do. Peachum sings, Let's practice goodness. Who would disagree? Let's give our wealth away. Is that not right? Once all are good, his kingdom is at hand, where blissfully we'll bask in his pure light. Let's practice goodness. Who would disagree? But sadly on this planet, while we're waiting, the means are meager and the morals low. To get one's record straight, 
would be elating, but our condition such, it can't be so. Polly and Mrs. Peachum together. So that is all there is to it. The world is poor and man's a shit. Peachum replies, of course that's all there is to it. The world is poor and man's a shit. Who wouldn't like an earthly paradise? Yet our condition such, it can't arise. Out of the question, in our case, let's say your brother's close to you, but if there's not enough for two, he'll kick you smartly in the face. You think that loyalty's no disgrace? But say your wife is close to you and find she's barely making do, she'll kick you smartly in the face. And gratitude? That's no disgrace. But say your son is close to you and finds your pensions not come through. He'll kick you smartly in the face, and so will all the human race. Polly and Mrs. Peachum together. That's what you're all ignoring. That's what's so bloody boring. The world is poor, the man's a shit, and that's all there is to it. Peachum. Of course that's all there is to it. The world is poor and man's a shit. We should aim high instead of low, but our condition's such, this can't be so. All three together. Which means he has us in his trap. The whole damn thing's a load of crap. Peachum. The world is poor and man's a shit, and that's all there is to it. All three together. That's what you're all ignoring, and that's what's so bloody boring. That's why he's got us in a trap, and why it's all a load of crap. The sharkers, teeth like razors, all can read his open face. And Makita's got a knife, but not in such an obvious place. See the shark how red his fins are as he slashes.
Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget to check the actual text for notes and additional information and graphics. And remember, every day is a learning day.